I'm really excited about the talk this morning. Can't wait to get into it with you. You already see the, the title on the screen, Radically Inclusive. You're like, okay, where is he going with that one? I'm, I'm about to get to it, and I'm very excited about it. We're going to go to the book of Acts in just a moment. Thank you, Randy. Uh, I wanted to take a moment and just mention, uh, we started this last month, just sort of our book of the month. And basically what I've done is I've read through a lot of poor to mediocre books to get to the good ones. And so I'm making those available to you. We're just sort of calling it Pastor Jeff's book of the month. And uh, Last month in February, we had a great book. We saw lots and lots of copies of that. And this one is a great book that I read some time ago uh, by Andy Stanley, The Principle of the Path. And, and the subtitle of that is How to Get uh, From Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. This is an excellent book. Um, I forget what the price of it is, but it's really, really cheap. And they have uh, copies of it out there. And we're just basically charging you what we paid for it. It's one of the finest books I've read. And let me just say this, because we ran out the very first week uh, last time we did this. So if we happen to run out, uh, then just let them get your name and we'll order some additional copies. We did that a couple of times last month and got a lot of copies in here. So uh, take advantage of that. We've made it as easy as possible for you to read and to uh, continue to grow in your walk and your relationship with God. So let's talk today. And I want to begin with a story. Speaking of books, you know, I love to read. And uh, some of you are not surprised by this. One of my favorite places to read is my second office. How many of you know where my second office is? My second office is Chick-fil-A South, which is about three minutes, four minutes from my house. And uh, Monday is my day off. I was just telling a friend of this, a uh, friend of mine, this part of the service said, uh, Monday is my day off. And one of the things that I love, I get up early. I like to go to the gym and I do that. So I get up, uh, you know, around five o'clock every morning uh, to go to the gym, except for Monday morning. And I sleep in a little bit more. But one of the most exciting things that I look forward to in a whole week is I get in there and I, I eat my breakfast. And then I've got two books and I don't move for an hour. I just read and read and read. And if a lot of chaos is going on around me, I just pray for all of them in Jesus' name. Just, Lord, quiet them down. And uh, so in a book that I read some time ago was this story, and I'll share it with you, a couple of paragraphs. During World War II, the Nazis set up a camp factory where prisoners were made to labor amid barbarous conditions. One day, the prisoners were ordered to move. Think about this now. The prisoners were ordered to move a huge pile of garbage from one end of the camp to another. The next day, they were ordered to move the pile back to its original location. No reason was given. They were just told to do it. So began a pattern. Day after day, the prisoners hauled the same mountain of garbage from one end of the camp to the other. The impact on the prisoners of that mindless, meaningless labor and existence began, began to come to the service. One day, an elderly prisoner began sobbing uncontrollably and had to be led away. Then another man began screaming until he was beaten into silence. A third man, who had endured three years of labor in the camp, suddenly broke away and began running toward the electrified fence. He was told to stop or he would be electrified. He didn't care. He flung himself on the fence and died in a blinding flash. In the days that followed, dozens of prisoners went insane. 
Their captors didn't care. For what the prisoners did not know was that they were, a, they were a part of an experiment in mental health. The Nazis wanted to ter- determine what would happen when people were subjected to meaningless activity. They wanted to see what a life would become without a sense of purpose. And they concluded that the result was insanity and suicide. The commandant even remarked that at the rate prisoners were killing themselves, there would no longer be a need to use the gas chambers. And then this writer adds this small sentence to the story. He said, purpose is decisive to human life. And that's exactly true, to have a purpose. And sometimes we wonder about a purpose. Sometimes we wonder, is this all there is? You get up and you go to work day after day and you work hard and you're making a living and you're providing for you or for your family and you do it day in and day out or you get up or you go to school and you're doing it day. And you're like, what is the purpose? I mean, is my life about more than this? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever pause and do a timeout and say, why am I here? Why has God left me here? Have you ever wondered this, that as a Christian, and you know that heaven is going to be a much better place than here on earth, have you ever wondered, why has God left me here on earth? Heaven's going to be such an incredible and glorious place. Why has he left me here on earth? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I to do with my life? And we need to talk about that. I've been reading again the book of Acts, and I love the book of Acts. And when you pay close attention to the movement of the early church, which was birthed, we know this, after the resurrection of Jesus, it is obvious that the people that were connected to this early church movement, that they were entirely devoted to God. There was no casual Christianity among them, really. I mean, there were pockets of it, but for the most part, in a general sense, they were all in. No play acting, no casual Christianity. And as you continue, which I did recently, just reading, and again, it's an incredible book on the tail end of the Gospels. If you've not read it recently, I would encourage you to do so. But there is a reality that surfaces again and again throughout the book of Acts, and that is that these early believers, these followers of Jesus, remember now, Jesus has just had in his gospels, his birth, his life, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection. I want you to go in Jerusalem and I want you to tarry, he said, until you be endued with power from on high. That has happened in the early pages of Acts. And now the church is sent out and they are serious because the one that they have loved and served and worshiped and followed has been resurrected from the dead. And he's given to them a mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this is is what they are so serious about. And as a result of that, these early church followers, these initial followers of Jesus, and it comes into the title of what we're talking about today, they became radically inclusive. And in just a moment, we're going to explore a primary passage that brings that to light. But just before we do, I want us to consider the leader of this movement, Jesus himself. This leader of the movement and what his life was like in terms of what, what did he model? And again, to do that, you've got to understand what was happening in this time. You see, in Jesus' day, scores of people, 
Scores of people attempted to prove their devotion to God by refusing to associate with people who did not line up with their standards. Let me say that again. In that time, in Jesus' day, there were scores of people who, in order to prove that they were righteous, in order to prove that they were entirely devoted to God, they thought the best way to achieve that would be to refuse uh, a refusal to associate with people who did not line up with their standards, people who were not like them. In, in fact, let me take it a step further, and you can study this later on your own. In their misguided thinking, in order to prove how righteous they actually were, they would start separating themselves from anybody that they would refer to as outcasts. They would just, uh, I'm not going to hang out with them. I'm not going to be around them. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I want to prove, and the way that I prove is by excluding, not including, but by excluding people from my life. So the more spiritual that they tried to be, guess what happened? The larger the category of outcast became. And this actually meant, this actually meant, and Jesus is coming to combat this. The early followers are not going to follow their, their pattern. They're going to follow Jesus's pattern. But what happened among them is they actually, over time, excluded lots of people for, for a lot of different reasons. And, I, and I'll just mention a couple. Sometimes they would uh, exclude, uh, you know, because they wanted to be righteous and they wanted to prove just how good they were. And so they would treat anybody that was of a different ethnicity uh, from theirs. They would, well, they're an outcast. And in this case, uh, it would be the Jews. And we'll get into this in just a moment. Who would say, we're not going to have anything to do with Gentiles. No way, no how. We're not going to mix with Gentiles. We're going to see this play out. But it wasn't just because of ethnicity. Lots of time they would exclude people because of their gender. In this case, in this day, in this culture, primarily that, that meant women. They also would exclude people and treat people as outcasts who pra practiced what were caused, uh, called in that time the despised trades. The despised trades. And that would, categorically speaking, that would be like pigeon keepers or tax collectors or, or prostitutes. And yet, Here's what Jesus said. He said, that's, that's not the method. That's not my purpose. That's not my mandate. And he's saying to his followers, that's not my plan for you as well. And so Jesus, who was sinless, Jesus, who was perfect in every way, actually, think about this now, friends. This is powerful when you think about it. Actually embrace those that a lot of people in the religious community were considering outcasts. And Jesus did not treat them as outcasts. He did not. We need to be clear on this. He did not in any way condone their sinful activity, but he let them know how much that he loved them, how much he wanted to be in relationship with them, how that their life could be redeemed and how that they could spend eternity with him in heaven forever. Jesus did not, think about this, it's so contrary uh, to what was going on among those who, again, wanted to be religious and they had to prove it, and here's how I'm going to prove it, by removing myself from outcasts. Jesus did not separate himself from people. We know this if you've studied his life. He did not separate himself from people that were far from God. Instead, what did he do? He included them. He embraced them and he included them. Jesus, Jesus was radically inclusive. And he wanted his followers to do the same. So 
that's sort of the preview. And I'm going to ask a couple of questions. We're going to dive into the text for the next few moments. And as we do, uh, I think it would be a good thing for us to ask ourselves, because we need to challenge ourselves. Wave at me if you believe that. Uh, we need to challenge ourselves. So I think it would be good to ask ourselves, am I most like those who pretended to be righteous? Is that who I'm most like? Am I most like those who pretend to be righteous? And so in order to pretend that I'm righteous and more sanctimonious and better than other people, I'm not going to hang around. I'm not going to be around these kinds of people. Or instead, are we most like the one who actually reached out to those who were outcasts? Jesus. So today's uh, talk centers around an incident that happens in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to just dive into the story and then I'll backtrack it a little bit and you'll see as we get into it. This is Acts chapter 10. Look here on the screen. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, and these are some people that are going to get the apostle Peter and we'll come back to this. On their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Any of you ever been so hungry you fell into a trance? All right. So uh, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Look at this next portion. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter. And Peter's a good Jew. Keep that in mind. He's a good Jew. He didn't associate with outcasts such as Gentiles. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. I'm not going to do that, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Read this phrase with me, everybody. You ready? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened how many times? Three times this happened. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So let's begin. That's sort of the story we pick up there. But I want to step back for just a moment. And there's two primary characters in this story. The first one being Cornelius. And let me take just a moment to talk to you about Cornelius. You read about him in the early chapters of the book of Acts. According to these verses, according to what is uh, playing out in Cornelius' life, in regards to his vocation. You ever been reading the Bible and it makes reference to a centurion? Cornelius was actually a centurion. And you're like, well, that's really helping. Thank you for clarifying what a centurion is. Here's what a centurion was. A centurion, generally speaking, was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 100 men. So this is, vocationally speaking, this is what Cornelius did. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier. And he was in charge of a hundred different people. He gave leadership to them. Now, we get an even greater glimpse into his life as we discover uh, more about not just him, but about his family. And you read through the book of Acts, and it tells us concerning Cornelius and his family that, that he was devout, that he was sincere. He was religious in a good way. It also tells us that he was God-fearing, that Cornelius was devout, but he was also God-fearing, which didn't mean that he was afraid of God, but that he honored God and he reverenced God. Goes on to tell us that not only is he devout, not only is he God-fearing, but he is also a generous giver, similar to that of the early Christ followers, although at this point in time, Cornelius has not even yet received Jesus as the Savior and the leader of his life. 
And then it tells us a fourth thing about him. Not only was he devout, not only was he a God-fearer, not only was he a generous giver, but that he was consistent, very consistent in his prayer life. So everything that we learn about Cornelius early on is that he is moving in the right direction. He is doing these things, but he doesn't know Jesus yet. He's a Roman soldier. He's a Gentile. And Jews, for the most part, are not having to want to have anything to do with him. And so Cornelius... You know, we read about this vision that Peter has. Cornelius has a vision that precedes the vision that Peter has. And in this vision that he has, an angel tells him to send for the apostle Peter, who's in a different city. And I know I'm giving you a lot of background. I'm giving you the text, but I want you to hang in here with me because we're going to get into this and it's going to be like, this is about food. And then we're going to be like, it's not really about food. It's about something much more important than food. And we're coming to that. Now, he has this vision in this vision Go and sin for the Apostle Peter, this great church leader. Now, this is where it gets really, really dicey. This is where it gets a little bit tense. This is where it gets interesting. I mentioned to you a few moments ago that Peter is a good Jew. He is not a Gentile. He did not hang out with Gentile. Gentiles were, you know, to be kept at arm's length, just like other people. Again, people who practice the despised trades. So he's a good Jew. And as one writer has correctly indicated, a God-fearer, in this case, it would be Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile had no objection. And I'm quoting here, had no objection to the society of Jews but even a moderately, think about this, even a moderately Orthodox Jew would not enter the dwelling of a Gentile. Now, that's scene one. That's scene one. You've got Cornelius over here. He has this vision, and he's devout. He's a God-fearer. He's a generous giver. He has a consistent prayer life, but he doesn't know Jesus. But in this vision that he has, uh, he's told, sin for this early church leader. And it moves us to scene two. Scene two is not Cornelius, it's the Apostle Peter. And we just read a portion of his story. Now, keep in mind that it was quite common for Jews to pray three times a day. And we saw that recently in a series that we did here, Daniel, pray three times a day, morning, noon, afternoon. And you can check that out later, picking up around verse nine or so. But it is the noon hour on this occasion when Peter goes to the roof, he goes to the housetop to pray. Apparently, it's a quiet place. You saw it in the text a moment ago. It says he goes up on the roof, on the housetop to pray, but he is also hungry. We are told in verse 10 that while on the roof, he too, we alluded to that, he receives a vision from God and it, it initially involves food. And, and this is you, you need to me. I love the way this plays out. And, and, and let me just do a timeout right here because we're talking a lot about the text and do a timeout right here and say this to you. This is not terribly surprising to me because sometimes when I'm hungry, I have visions about food too. Has this ever happened to you? You ever been really, really hungry and you had, have, has this happened to you? Have you ever had a vision while you're really hungry? It's like you're in a trance and all of a sudden what is revealed to you is bluebell ice cream. <laughs> and it is a vision. 
And it's exciting. Or maybe if it's not bluebell ice cream, maybe it's my all-time favorite, my, like my Sunday night splurge, because i got to eat clean the rest of the week. But Sunday night, nothing makes Sunday night any better than after church to when I get in my car to call up a pizza place near my house and to pick it up, a pepperoni and sliced meatball pizza. And when I pick it up, I feel the glory of God all in that car with me. And it's a very exciting thing as I drive the remainder and I have these visions or a steak coming off the grill or a cheeseburger. Sometimes I have a vision and it's like a scroll rolled out. And when I look at it closer, it is the entire menu of Chick-fil-A. And I say, glory to God. But the vision that Peter receives has a very uh, important meaning attached to it. What's the vision? Heaven is open. You saw that with me, right? Wave your hand at me if you're still with me. If you don't wave your hand, you can go get another cup of coffee real quick and then come around. All right, so heaven is open. A large sheet is lowered to the earth, and on this sheet are four-footed animals, reptiles of the earth, birds of the air, things that Peter would be like, nope, 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 nope. I can't have any part of this, even if I wanted to. I can't, I can't, I, I can't. There's some things I can do, and there's some things I can't do. Now, I, I want to take a moment, because I'm giving you a lot here, and, and just tell you a, a, a quick story. And I told it to Pastor Blackburn, and he's telling it everywhere. And if I don't tell it, I'm not going to be able to tell my own story. So, uh, Drew, uh, my son Drew called uh, the other day, and he said, Dad, I've got this great story for you. He said, I got a great story. Now, if you know Drew and you know Drew's personality, and some of you do, I'm like, all right, I know he's got a good one. And he said, dad, all right, let me tell you the story. You ready? You got a moment? I'm like, I got a moment. He said, let me tell you. I said, all right, tell me. He said, there's this guy. He said, and this guy, uh, he goes in the sports bar uh, about three or four times a week. And every time he goes in, this is Drew telling me the story. He said, the guy goes in, and he sits at a table, and he orders three beers. And they're like, one here, one here, one here. And, and Drew said, he'll take a sip of one, put it down, take a sip of another, put it down, take a sip of another one, and put it down. And he does that, just one, one, three, and he just does it till they're empty. And he's done this for about two weeks. Drew said, an employee that works at this sports bar comes over to him and says, listen, listen, listen. I know, I know, I've been watching, and you got to do your own thing, and, and uh, you do whatever you want to do. But if you want to just get one at a time, I'll bring you to be, you know, fresh and stuff, and you finish, I'll bring you another. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, it's not that at all. He said, here's the thing. My brothers, I've got two brothers, and my brothers and I, we're very, very close. We're very close, and we don't live in the same town anymore, and we used to get together and do this, and we, we don't, and we're very close, and, uh, you know, one brother has a ranch in Wyoming, the other has a ranch in Montana, and, and we can't get together anymore, but we're so close. This is the way that we store, you know, one, one for me, one for my brother, one, and uh, we just do that, and then I'm done. So... Guy said, all right, that's what you choose. That's what you choose. So about a week later, he's in there, and it's not three. Uh, it, it's two. And he's just sip out of one, sip out of another, back to that one. And the guy walks over, the same guy, and he says, man, he said, oh, I know this you and your brothers, and is it what I think it is? Um, I'm afraid to ask, but did you lose one of your brothers? Is that what happened? You know, because I know you drank one for you, one for your brother, and one for your other brother. Does that mean that you, does that mean you lost your brother? He said, oh, no, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, my brothers are doing well. He said, what actually happened is my wife and I started going to church, and I can't drink anymore. <laughs> I 
I don't know why I do this stuff, y'all. I, I, I don't. It just, it just comes out. It, it just, I don't know how that happens. So the Apostle Peter is like, no, mm-mm, not me. And, and it's interesting. There are three categories of, of things that are on this large sheet that's lowered down from heaven. Four-footed animals, reptiles of the earth. How many of you know that doesn't even sound tasty at all to me? And birds of the air. In other words, and you got to get this picture. This is so important. In other words, it's a collection of clean and unclean animals. And this, my friends, is a big deal, a big deal for Jews. And keep in mind that at this point, Peter's very much so an Orthodox Jew. And then this voice comes in this vision to Peter. and He's telling the story. He said, a voice came to me. I'm seeing all this on this large sheet that's been lowered down from heaven, an assortment of clean and unclean animals. And these are the animals that ordinarily I would eat. I wouldn't even think about uh, eating these because, you know, they're unclean and I'm clean and I don't want to be unclean. And, and so he's going that. And then a voice comes and says, all right, get up, Peter, quoting, get up, Peter, kill and eat. His response, and I paraphrase, no way, Lord, uh-uh, no way. Never have, never will. Never done that before, not going to do it again. And this happens, how many times? You read it with me. How many times? What does that mean? It means this is very important to God. Because he's like, hey, if you don't get it the first time, anytime, if God says something to you one time, how many of you know that ought to get your attention? Just wave at me like this. If God says it three times, how many of you know it really ought to get your attention? And he says it three different times. Now, um, this is a big deal. And he's talking to him about, and this comes into play. This is, this is not the apostle Peter, but I want you to look at a couple of verses here real quick. Uh, before we start wrapping this up, this is, the, uh, this is the Apostle Paul, the great church leader Paul. He says this in Romans, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, he said, like, I'm in Jesus, I'm a Christian. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now, that's what Paul said. Look at what Jesus said. This is Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, nothing outside of man is really good. Nothing outside of man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that what? Makes him, say it with me, unclean. In other words, it is not the food going in that causes a person to become unclean. What Jesus is saying, it is the thoughts and the attitudes and the actions that are coming out of a person. So in a very real way, what is occurring here in Acts chapter 10 would mean that future Jewish Christian, Christians could, if so chosen, eat any food without fear of defilement. And so we, we see this, and there's this tension, and it's getting dicey, and, you know, Cornelius, he has this vision, and sin for Peter. And while that's going on, Peter has a vision, and this sheet, and he's like, I'm clean. I've, I've never eaten anything unclean, and sheet, and arise, Peter, kill, and he's like, nope. Not for me. I'll eat this, but I won't ever eat this. And if we're not careful, we will think in its totality, the story that is playing out here is all about food. It includes food, but there's a much more important reality playing out here. And it is the reality that it's really not, and it's most central part about food, it's actually about people. And we know that. And I want to just read. I'm going to read a little bit. It's not on the screen. And I want you to just listen. And I'll read it quickly. I know I'm from Georgia, but how many of you believe I can read quickly if I choose? So I'm going to read quickly. So you got to follow. If I read quickly, you got to listen quickly. Are you prepared to do that? 
Here we go. The next day, Peter, this is all in Acts chapter 10, and I'm just reading quickly. The next day, Peter started out with him. We saw that, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. He gets them all. He's like, he's got, you know, I had the vision, and, and he's on his way. Everybody come together. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Once he goes into Cornelius' home, He said to them, you are well aware, listen to this now, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean, impure or unclean. Now, how did God show him that? How did God show him that? Remember the rooftop? That's when God showed him. Don't call any person. This is bigger than food. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection because prior to that whole vision, I wouldn't wouldn't have even thought about coming in this house with all these Gentiles. He said, may I ask why you sent for me? Uh, Cornelius now speaks up. We're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I didn't see it before, but I see it now. But he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know, he said, the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, he's saying to these Gentiles, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around listen to this Jesus went around doing good healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him we're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews he says and in Jerusalem they killed him though by hanging him on a tree but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen he commanded us this is Peter talking commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name While Peter was still speaking, this is so cool, this is powerful. If you've not read Acts in a while, you need to. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. It says the language is the circumcised believers. Who is that? That That's the Jews. That's not the Gentiles. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even, listen to this, even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone, Uh, keep these people from being baptized with water they have received the holy spirit just as we have so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of jesus christ and friends i'm just telling you when this happens it is a monumental shift because ordinarily a jew would not even go into the house of a gentile and the gentiles who have gathered in cornelius's house who had previously been excluded who there was no inclusivity for them whatsoever while peter's speaking they received receive Christ they not only receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit they receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and then he says hey Peter does what should prevent these from being baptized in water so they're like saved empowered by the Holy Spirit baptized in water and guess what they were all Gentiles previously outcasts who nobody would want to have anything to do with them now I want to get really really practical in the few minutes we have left 
God wants to be perfectly clear about this for all of us. And this is a reminder, and I'll tell you, this is a very, very intentional reminder about you and I being radically inclusive. Because if you're like me and I'm like you, a lot of times we just get busy with our life and we're not thinking the way that we should in terms of people who are far from God and where they're going to spend eternity. We just go about, we get up and we go to work and we do our thing and we have our family and we do our thing and have our hobbies and we do our thing. And sometimes in the business and the chaos of our life, we forget, think about this, we forget that there are real people that are lost. There are real people that if they die without Christ, they're going to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that to happen. That's why God sent Jesus. We know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to send people to hell. Why did God send his words, son into the world? So that the world might be saved. How many of you, is it true for you too that you just sometimes get busy with your chaotic life that you're not thinking about being radically inclusive the way that we should? That there ought to be people that we're praying for. There ought to be people that we're inviting. There ought to be people that we're sharing our faith with. And God is saying to us through this passage, this is bigger than food. This is way bigger than food. This is people. And it's why he spoke to Peter three times. And it's why this truth is found throughout the pages of the Bible in places. We were in Romans just a moment ago. Come right back to there. This is Paul again. Look at what he says. He said, for there, this is so huge, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There are not those who are included and excluded. It's not about Jews and Gentiles. It's like not about who's in and who ought to be left out. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Read this last phrase, everybody. Read it with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And to people everywhere, Jesus says this, and this is good news. It's good news on a couple of fronts. He's saying the doors of the kingdom or open to everybody. Anybody can walk through the doors of the kingdom. Access is granted. And when they bow before Jesus, just like these Gentile believers in the home of Cornelius, they will find that awaiting them is love and acceptance and grace. And I want to just pause here real quick right now and just say, there may be those of you that you're in this theater right now and your heart is warm toward God. You know you're not a Christian. You've never claimed to be a Christian. You've never claimed that you're righteous or any of those things, but your heart is tender toward God and you know that God is real and you know that Jesus is real. And there's a lot in the Bible that you don't even understand and I don't even understand and I'll understand hopefully one day when I'm in heaven and a lot of portions I do, some I, and, and you're like, oh man, I got got all this going on in my mind, but you know deep down in the core of your soul that there is a God in heaven that loved you enough to send his son Jesus into the world. But that's not the problem for you. The problem for you is will he take somebody like me? Look at all I've done. Look at my life. Look at the thing. And you may be even thinking, you know, Pastor Jeff, you can say that pretty confidently now because you and I have never had a conversation. If I were to roll out for you everything that I've ever done, then it would just blow your mind. You probably wouldn't say it. And I've just got to say this. Listen, I've been a pastor for quite some time. It's amazing that I could be only 30 years old and have 20 years of pastoral ministry experience. Isn't that amazing? But I've heard a lot. And to every person, no matter what it is they've ever done, if a person becomes serious about Jesus, guess what? The doors of the kingdom are wide open. And the doors of the kingdom are wide open to you. And maybe before you would even walk out of this theater today, you would say, Jesus, come into my life. 
come into my life. I know I'm not excluded. You want to include me. It's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's not about, uh, it's not, I'm not an outcast in your sight. Maybe among some people I may be deemed an outcast, but not in the sight of Jesus. Now, I want to just say this and we're done. Because I believe the doors of the kingdom are open, open to everybody. I pray that this will always be the kind of place for spiritual seekers, people that are looking, people like you know, the kind of people that you're working with, the kind of people that live in your neighborhood or apartment or condominium complex, the family members that you have, that when they come and they're seeking, that they, you know, that every time they come here, they'll find a place that welcomes them no matter who they are, no matter what they're done, their background, it doesn't matter. A place where people are authentic, that's what we want to be and, and longing to grow spiritually. But we know, listen, if, if perfection is the standard, then I don't need to be the guy that's up here talking every weekend. It's not not about being perfect and we're striving to be all that Jesus has intended for us to be. And what we're just saying to fellow strugglers, to fellow strugglers is come along and let's follow Jesus. And, and you're inviting them and you're bringing them to a place where they can hear about Jesus and to hear how much Jesus loves them and how much that he cares enough about them to die for them. Um, I totally agree with Rick Warren. And I want you to see this statement. It's a great statement I've held on to for a long, long time. He said, the goal is not to make it as difficult as possible, but to make it as easy as possible for the unchurched to hear about Christ. And so I'm just saying to you today, it's very intentional because I think you're comfortable. And I think I'm comfortable. And we just get up. And we do our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday and our Thursday and our Friday and we go to our school or we go to our work or we live in our neighborhood and sometimes we forget that there are people that are far from God, people that Jesus died for just like us and people that Jesus is saying, the doors of the kingdom are open to you and that you and I, maybe it's been a while, maybe you just need to be fired up again and you start praying for lost people again and you start inviting lost people again to come to church with you. And I'm telling you, friends, that's exactly, you read it in the early church. They were radically inclusive. And how many of you would agree that's what God wants us to do today? Would you stand for a closing prayer? God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for reminding us, God, that you don't see outcasts. Some people see outcasts, but not your truest followers, not sincere followers of Jesus. They don't see outcasts. They just see people that are not yet in the family of God. And Lord, there are people that we're going to go to work with tomorrow. There's people that are living next door and across the street. There's family members that we have. And we just get so busy. We don't do it intentionally, but we just go, get so busy. We forget that they're lost. We forget that they're going to spend eternity separated from you unless they come to know you. So God, I just pray that you would rekindle that fire in us to pray for the lost and to invite the lost. And you just rekindle that fire in us once again. And if there be even one person here today that you don't know Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with us. And you can pray it right there in your mind. You can pray it right there in your heart. God will hear it, and he will know you're serious. And you can pray something like this. It doesn't even have to be identical to my words, but it would just be this. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I need you. I'm lost. I want to be in your kingdom, not outside of your kingdom. Jesus, when you went to the cross... You didn't just go for church people and people that have been church people forever and ever. You went to the cross for people just like me. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life. And with your help, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. 
In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I love you, everybody. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.